Let's give the Lord a praise offering before we begin. God is good. Amen. I'm Kenny White. I get to be the Shakopee Campus Pastor, and it is a joy to join you today. Uh, glad to be able to spend some time with you before Christmas. Everybody ready? Yeah, same. Okay. <laughs> uh, I have to share something very honestly with you that, not that anything hasn't been very honest, but I'm just saying, I have to share something with you that, that God has been stirring in my heart, and it really began with this series on the Holy Spirit. Um, as, as we began that series on the Holy Spirit, I, I started to just look through, like, well, how do we know when the Spirit of God is present? And, and you heard, heard this from all the pastors who were preaching, that there's the fact that Jesus is proclaimed and that sin is confessed. And I just really have been leaning into that lately. And in the midst of that, I think God is stirring some really exciting things for me personally. I hope you get a taste of that today. We continue in this series called God Is. We started with the sovereignty of God. That God knows. like He has a plan in all of this and he is orchestrating things in ways that we couldn't possibly. Additionally, that God is just and merciful. Uh, that there is no division in his character, like as if he is in an, uh, an argument with himself, but rather uh, he is fully just and he is fully merciful. And these things go together in beautiful ways. And today we're going to talk about the holiness of God, that God is holy. And it's one of those concepts that's really hard to understand, to be honest. It's like, okay, holy, what is that exactly? Well, it, it means to be separated, to be separate, to be different. And we're going to talk about how separated God is from his creation. And yet, how amazing this God invites us into his holiness. And so we're going to work through that together today. I'm going to play a video in just a moment. And I want to share with you a little bit about the video. It's a secular video. I, I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm going to speak over the video. I'm going to give a little bit of um, narration through it. But you're going to see a close-up of Louise, and then it's going to scan back, and it's just going to keep scanning back, and you're going to see uh, the Western states, you're going to see the United States, you're going to see the world, you're going to see the moon, the inner planets, the outer planets. You're, you're going to scan all the way back to the cosmic web that God sees clearly, at the same time that he sees Louise. And then we're going to zoom in on Louise and see even things that we're not aware of, that God is very aware of within his creation. So I want you to be aware of that as we jump into this video together. <clears throat> Let's watch this. This is Louise. God knows her and he created her in his image. He loves her. But not just her, also those around her and how she interacts with them and how they interact with her. God is very aware, but not just in her region of the world, the entire Western region, not just in the entire Western region, but in the whole of the United States and not just in the whole of the United States, the whole world. God knows everyone intimately, but also the moon and the sun and the stars. 
and he knows their rotation and their orbits and how they interact with one another and why they interact with one another. God is very aware of the inner planets and the outer planets. In fact, God, as he was creating them, he created them not just uh, by himself, but also for himself. God created them. He also is very aware of the neighboring stars and even the interstellar cloud. God orchestrated them and put them exactly where he wanted them for his own purposes. God is a good God. Mindful of the Milky Way, the galaxies that, that neighbor them. Not just that, but God put them there for his unique and specific purposes. Knowing Louise, but also this cosmic web God created. Additionally, God is also very aware of what's going on internally. In fact, I would ask you today, are you aware of the white blood cells in your own body? Are you understanding how they're moving in you and through you and their interaction with one another? Well, as much as God can see the cosmic web, he knows what's going on inside. He recognizes the white blood cells and he knows each one of them and why they're there in me and in you, just as in Louise. He's aware of our DNA and why our DNA is the way it is, how our DNA contributes to the people that we are and the way that we interact with one another and why Jesus is so important to each person. God is very aware. He can go and zoom in to each one of us just as easily as he can zoom out to all of us. God loves his creation for he created all things by him and for him. This is a good God and we give him praise. Amen. I want you to consider that because the reality is this God who created us in his image, who is very aware of each of us individually and can step back and look at worlds and galaxies collectively just as easily, that God is different than all of creation. He is separate from all of creation. And that's an important thing for us to understand when we consider the holiness of God. Sometimes we would like to uh, identify God as, as a God who has an attribute that is holy. But I would agree with Sam Storms that this holiness actually affects and infects all of the attributes of God. Listen to how he says it. The holiness of God only secondarily refers to his moral purity, his righteousness of character. It primarily points to his infinite otherness. To say that God is holy is to say that he is transcendentally separate. Holiness is not one attribute among many. It is not like grace or power or knowledge or wrath. Everything about God is holy. Each attribute partakes of divine holiness. So if we could, we might say that God's 
Grace is holy and separate from all of creation. We might say that God's power is holy and separate from all of creation. We might say the same thing about his knowledge and his wrath, his justice, his sovereignty. All of those things are infected or affected by his holiness that is separate from all of creation and is unique. I would also say that this holy God does something amazing. One of those things is this, that he calls us into his otherness, his holiness. Not in a way that we are creators like he is a creator, not in ways that, he, that we are saviors like he is a savior, but we are, uh, we are called into his holiness in that we are separate. 1 Peter 1.15 refers back to an Old Testament passage when Peter says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This holy God is calling us into the same holiness that is in him. That we can't earn, that we don't make happen, that is unique of him for him and by him and extended to those of faith. In just a moment, we're going to pray. And what I would like to do before we go into prayer is to give us about 15 seconds. 15 seconds for us to consider the person of God and who we're speaking to. Because here's what is true in my life and I suspect may be true in many of your lives. That we go into the presence of God somewhat flippantly. Hey, God, good to see you today. Uh, God, I, I need some help. I would like this or I want that. God, would you do this thing or that thing for me? And we go in sometimes a little flippantly. But I would like to suggest that he is a holy God. And because he is a holy God, we shouldn't go in flippantly. Regardless of your political persuasion, if the President of the United States were here today, you wouldn't walk up to him, swat him on the shoulder and say, hey, Joe, what's up? Like, you wouldn't do that. And if you did, his security might have something to say about it. But what of God? How much greater is God than the President of the United States? Uh, how much greater than, is God than all of creation? Infinitely greater. And so I want to give you 15 seconds, 15 seconds to pause before God and consider this holy God before I go into a time of prayer and then we jump into the word together. Let's pray. Almighty God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you, and we ask that you would be exalted and that you would be lifted up. We thank you, Lord, that you are holy and good. And if, for the next half hour, if we could, Lord, would you make the veil between heaven and earth so thin that we could see through to the other side? Would you give us this moment, Lord, in such a way that we, we might peer into your holiness and somehow get a, a, a taste of who you are in ways that are both familiar and, and uh, foreign, Lord, in ways that are uh, 
that we remember and ways that, Lord, are new and fresh. That we might see you today, Lord. That in seeing you, it might transform who we are. We love you and we need you. We thank you and we praise you. And we ask that you would be exalted and lifted up. For it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. The king had just died. The nation mourned. And they mourned because for 52 years, this king reigned. And he was a military leader. And he brought peace and security to the nation. And not just that, but also there was, there was financial gains for the entire nation because of this king's military might. But the king got proud. And in the last chapter of his life, he went to the temple. Going into the temple... He decided to do something that was only for the priests to do. When challenged by the priests, he simply referred to the fact that he was king. Arrogantly and proudly, he didn't back down. And in that moment, he got leprosy. He was struck with leprosy. Separated from his nation in the day-to-day duties, he served by extension as king without fellowship within the nation. And he died. And in the year that he died, a young man went into the temple. And as he went into the temple, something happened. Something that is beyond explanation. Like, was it that he was drawn up to heaven or had a vision of heaven? Or maybe it doesn't matter one way or the other. Regardless, he gets to see something that he had never seen before. And what he saw was the throne of God. And the train of of God's robe filled the temple. And in that place where the temple is filled with the glory of God, there are angels, seraphim. And these angels, before God, cover their face with with two of their wings and their feet with two others and fly with the others. And they cry out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And in that moment, this young man has a response that we need to see. His response is not a response of arrogance. It's not a response of pride. It's not even a response of, yeah, I am so thankful to be here. I deserve this. It's not anything like that. But what we do see is his response in this way. Woe to me. Woe. (laughs) The phrase woe there is like death. I'm dead. It's over. I can't believe this. This is not what I expected. I'm dead. Woe to me, he says, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And an angel of the Lord comes and takes a coal and touches his lips with the coal, and he's atoned for by the work of someone else, not himself. When called out, who will follow me? This man then cries out. Why? Because of a response to God's holiness. Because when we come in close proximity to the presence of God and we see him in real ways, there is a response that is elicited from us. And that response is, uh, he is holy 
and separate and unique in ways that I have fallen short. And in that place, there is a call out for repentance. And in that place, there is only the hope that God will atone. And for those who call out to the Lord, he indeed does atone. For those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, we're told. There was something beautiful in that moment. But it happens with the holiness of God. It's that idea that God is holy that I want to tap into today. And, and, and hopefully, that veil between heaven and earth will be a little thinner. That we can look in in ways that we haven't in the past. And not miss it. The beauty and the wonder and the mystery, the power, the authority, the love of God. We're going to look at things that make God separate, different, holy. It's not an exhaustive list, uh, but it's a list that's going to help us walk through it and better understand. Let's jump right in. Let's first of all look at God's uniqueness. He is unique, different. He is set apart. He, He is singular in that. There is no one like him but him. He is God. Isaiah 44, 6 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And and you may be in here today going, yeah, that's true. There's no God but God. Uh, I agree. And I am so thankful that I don't live in a place where uh, an idol is offered for everything under under the sun. We don't go to Walmart and buy an idol. That doesn't happen. But we might look in a mirror and find one. And in that place where we look in the mirror and exalt ourselves above God, there is a problem. Because God says that he is the Lord alone. And by the way, his glory, he doesn't share with anyone. God is unique in that. And he calls us to the submission of that fact that he alone is God and he doesn't share it. The God who can look inside and see every cell within you and know how they move and are orchestrated and at the same time see this cosmic web of all of these galaxies interacting, that God who can do all of that at the same time and doesn't grow weary from it, yeah, he's God and it turns out we're not. It's a good thing to remember. How about God's transcendency? He's beyond our comprehension. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's consider that for a moment because it's, it's super important. Recently, we've been doing a study, a genealogy uh, study on our family. It's been so cool to see like the work that people have put in, the sources that they're citing to identify the, the, our family. And in, in some strands of our family goes back to the 800s. <laughs> That's pretty cool to see that kind of thing. In the midst of all of that, <clears throat> there are several places in our family that has been met with some serious and significant challenge where uh, a relative 
great, great, great somebody married somebody, and that somebody died. And then that, that great, great, great married somebody else, and, and, and then the lineage continues, and I'm here today because of this uh, horrific tragedy that occurred in our family somewhere. And you could go through all of your lines and see that things like that happened very often and recognize, well, wait a minute, that, that seems terrible. And at the same time, where there is this intersection of faith and fear, where there's tragedy that can occur, God is right there and is just saying, trust me in faith. Just walk with me in this place. I have a plan through all of this. And if you're willing to follow me, you're going to receive my blessing. But make no mistake of it, my will will be done. And in those places of intersection, we see amazing things. I'm here today. I would suggest you're here today in part because of tragedies that have occurred. So if that's true in our genealogy, that's probably true in our lives where there are these intersections of faith and fear that occur and you go, why did that happen well well maybe part of it not all of it maybe part of it is God's in control and God knows something that we don't know and, and that in the midst of that tragedy God's offering us an opportunity to walk in faith and trust him in that place as he's saying you know what I am comprehending something here that you do not comprehend, that you can't possibly understand. And the best you can do is lean on me and trust me in this place because I'm going to work this out, that all things work together for the good of those who, uh, who call on me, who love me. All things work together for that good uh, because my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are greater than your thoughts. And in the midst of this tragedy, I have a plan. God can do that. And doesn't that make sense? I mean, if he can be aware of cells within us, not just within us individually, but also all of us corporately, and at the same time be able to look at the cosmic web of things, uh, yeah, that kind of God, I feel like I can trust him. Uh, he can organize things. He's pretty good at it. We can trust him. He's faithful. He's holy because he's transcendent. He's also holy because he's immutable. He's unchanging in a changing world. Uh, let's look at some passages. Malachi 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I love that. Like there's a little bit of humor here. Uh, don't miss it. And, and it's kind of that shocking sort of humor where he's saying, hey, you've messed up, children of Jacob. You've blown it. And and what you deserve is wrath. But because I'm unchanging, you're not going to get it. I made a promise, and I'm not going to break my promise. You should be thankful. Yep, yep, we should be thankful. Additionally, Hebrews 13.8 reminds us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The immutability of God. Just consider it for a second, because it's really easy to lose. Like This is one of those very, very important things, and it's easy to lose. That God doesn't change. In a changing world... It's good that God doesn't change. For some of you who grew up in homes of alcoholic parents, where you came home and you had to make some decisions, are they drunk or are they sober? When they're sober, they act one way. When they're drunk, they act another way. How am I going to interact with my parent in this moment? Some of you had to deal with that on a regular basis. And the fact that God is unchanging does something to you. Like It's almost hard to believe 
God isn't like that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But, but let's take this out a little bit further. It also means that God isn't learning new things. Do you ever think that? I, I, God's not learning new stuff. He's like, what? The Grand Canyon does what? Uh, hmm, that's interesting. I better note that. Also, in my, in my relationship with God, I might be growing. I might be learning stuff. But God isn't learning new stuff about me. He's not going, hmm, I... Hmm, that's a surprise that you would respond that way, Kenny. That's interesting. He's not growing in his understanding of me, nor is he growing in his understanding of you because he is perfect in every way, full in every way. Uh, there is nothing that has escaped him, and he is not growing in those things. We may grow in our walk with him, but he's not because he's perfect. This perfect God, this unchanging God is holy and is set apart. Also, uh, God's revelation is beyond subjectivity. Let's talk about that as we look at Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Or, or What are we saying? We're saying that God interacted with history in a way that is objective. Like we know that we know that we know that these things happened. That this God interacted with humankind. Whether we want to uh, go back and talk about Adam, whether we want to identify Noah or Abraham, we might also uh, look at the nation of Israel and how he is a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. But it is all really obvious in the person of Jesus Christ. It is clear. God in the flesh, he interacted. He's not subjective like some people uh, speak of deity in subjective ways. I'll give you an example. Sometimes uh, I'll be in these conversations with people and I'll say something like, how do you know there's a God? And they'll say something like. I was praying and I asked God to show uh, himself to me, and I just had a warm feeling come over me. Like, there are a lot of reasons you can have warm feelings coming over you. That seems subjective. Uh, they'll say, oh, well, I said this prayer, and a light came in the window, and I just knew that was God. And it's like, light comes in windows sometimes. Like, that's not a new thing. Um, that's subjective. Like, you're making a connection there. Maybe is true, but it's subjective. Objectively. God showed up. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. God showed up. He loves us. And he's revealed who he is in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can walk through and see that. Like this is the God that showed up and divided time. But that's not even the big accomplishment. He also created time. That's an amazing God. There is B.C. and there's A.D. But God created that. If you want to think of it this way, if this paper represents eternity, it's God. And within this paper is a line in the middle that represents time. God is beyond time and at the same time exists within time and interacts with time. If that video that was just about space could also be about time, and if each data point was not a place, but rather a moment in time, it would make sense. Like, 
God is very aware of the beginning and he's very aware of the end. And at the same time, he sees all of it interacting at once. And at the same time, he's interacting with all of it at once. That's an infinite God that is unique and separate from his creation. I can't do it. You can't do it. We can't do it collectively. Like that is what God does. And he's revealed who he is to humankind. There is, of course, God's creation. God's creation. In the beginning, there's time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like, he was very purposeful in that. He has a reason for that. As I've been alluding to throughout our time, First uh, uh, Corinthians 1, 16 and 17 says that all things were created by him and for him. Things were created by him and for him. In other words, everything that exists within creation is for the glory of God. I exist for the glory of God. You exist for the glory. We exist for the glory of God. Uh, Everybody is intended to exist for the glory of God. God's creation is revealed. But then that would take us to something even more special. And that's his people. God's people. And embracing the holiness of God. It's one of those discussions we don't have very often anymore. It was a discussion we used to have and throughout church history was very important when we talked about walking in a life that is holy and separated for the purpose of God. It was something that the church has historically embraced and discussed. And somehow we've lost the vocabulary to talk about walking in holiness. Not our holiness, but God's holiness transferred to us. That in those places, God uniquely and specifically has called us into a relationship with him that yields freedom. More on that in a moment. 1 Peter 1.15 and 16, as we talked about earlier, you shall be holy for I am holy. All of those things that he is unique, that he is uh, transcendent, that he is immutable, that he is created with purpose. All of those things are true and amazing in and of themselves. And the fact that God would call a group of people to himself is even more amazing. That he would redeem us. Like, what? He would redeem us and set us apart and say, yeah, I have a plan. And this group of people, they are going to steward my reputation to the world. That Jesus' prayer Lord, Father, make them one as you and I are one that the world may know that you sent me. That that, that would be true in, of, in us and in part because of us is amazing. Let's not miss it. I debated all week if I was going to share this part with you, and I'm going to. So I'll just cut to the chase. I'm going to. <laughs> um, because I don't want you to hear something that I'm not saying. So what I am saying is this. There is a time where we should seek professional help, whether that is physical health and needing a doctor or medicinal health. Absolutely, that should, yes, we should do that. There is a place for Christian counselors. There, there is a place uh, for understanding our uh, mental capabilities and ways that maybe we could be healthier Uh, mentally? Absolutely, that is true. And also, what I'm about to share with you is true. It is boggling my mind that there are times in my life where I will lean into something, replace God with it, lest the flesh 
lust of the eyes, the pride of life, ugh, and I'll replace God with it. Let me give you, out of 1,189 chapters in the Bible, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight one, okay? And it's Ephesians chapter 1. Let me tell you who we are in Christ, just with Ephesians 1. There's so much more, but Ephesians 1. What has Jesus done in our lives that separates? For all who have called on the name of the Lord are saved, and something happens. What happens? Well, they're blessed with every spiritual blessing. They're chosen before the foundation. They're predestined for adoption. They're redeemed through his blood. They're forgiven of all of their trespasses. They inherit according to purpose. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. They're guaranteed inheritance. There's faith in the Lord. There's love towards all saints. They are given a spirit of wisdom, a revelation in knowledge. They're enlightened by the eyes of their heart. Their hope is of his calling. Their riches uh, are of his inheritance and their immeasurable greatness has been given to them in the power and the glory of God. That's just one chapter. Like that is all true. And if all of that is true, why would I ever replace it with something different? Oh yeah, money. That's, that's a great thing to replace God with. And yet we see it over and over again as if the very pinnacle of who we are is identified in the receiving of financial services or cash. What? Now God's bigger than that. In fact, he's better than that. And that is at best a cheap imitation. How about this? Uh, recently I got to go on vacation and uh, we, we went to a place where... Uh, it was obvious people had work done to themselves. Can I say it like that? Uh, or it's common that guys are marrying women 50 years younger than them. I don't know. Uh, it seemed very apparent that there was a lot of plastic surgery and a lot of value in looking a certain way. Uh, why? Like, and then what? Uh, eventually you're going to die. And then what? Oh, you spent all of that money on what? And, and then what? It just seems peculiar to me that we would put a value to look a certain way over God and his plan and goals in our lives. Uh, the reality that Christians are consistently stuck in a lifestyle of pornography boggles my mind that we have this freedom in Christ that is absolute and is true and is good and is right. And we would somehow replace this freedom in Christ with these chains of death and pornography. I'm like, what are we thinking? Well, I just need a counselor. No, you need Jesus. And I don't mean that half-heartedly. I don't mean that with like flippantly, like really we need Jesus because when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And this holy God is saying, Kenny, friends, friendship, you are stewarding the very reputation of God with your life and what are you doing with it? Well, no one was looking. Well, yeah, God was and he sees it. And it affects you. And by the way, it affects me. Now, what I am not saying also is that I am walking perfectly, that there is never any sin. Remember, I started this with dealing with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus should be proclaimed and also that sin should be confessed. 
We see it with Isaiah when he comes in close proximity to God. His first response is, woe to me. And I would say that as we have a clear picture of who God is, there is this response to us, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Not just my lips, but my thoughts. Oh, I get so frustrated that I keep thinking that when I've been set free in Christ. What am I doing? But is that true for you as well? Let's seek Jesus together. This holy people that he has redeemed and called to himself. What a beautiful thing. Money can't replace it. Looks can't replace it. Pornography can't replace it. Pleasures can't replace it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are at best a cheap substitute for the beauty and the wonder and the holiness of this God who has called us to himself. What will we do? Let me suggest there are some action steps, some things that I I would encourage you to lean into. One is this, I just learned to love Jesus. And you go, I do love Jesus. Ask, Ask the Spirit of God to give you the ability to love him even more. Like, don't stop. Lord, I'm going to keep growing. I'm going to keep in this trajectory of loving you, of knowing you, of walking in you. Cultivate a lifestyle of holiness through prayer and scripture meditation. Uh, God, I'm just going to chew on your word. What does this say? This says that I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. What does that mean? Does that mean that I'm captured by the sin and and I have to stay there? No, it means there's freedom. Let's watch and see what God will do about intentional pursuit of holiness and daily decisions. I, I want to encourage you with some. I, in fact, I'm going to challenge you. Those of you who really like challenges, I'm talking to you. Uh, and that's this. This week, at least for 24 hours, one day, wherever you take your phone, take your Bible. Like the hard copy, not the one inside your phone. The hard copy with you. Just for 24 hours, see what happens. Hey, if you, take, if you take this to work, take this to work. If you take this to bed with you, that's weird, but take this with you, okay? Uh, watch and see what God will do. This holy God is calling us to a relationship not just with him but in him. The holiness that we receive is not the holiness that we've earned. It's what God has given us because of a relationship with him. For all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a confession of sin, a repentance of him. And, and I can't argue you into that. It is a spiritual birth that is given by God. And if you're not sure that you have it, you should seek him. If you have questions, give us a call. Let's talk. You're really wondering right now, you can't leave this place. We're going to have prayer ministers over here to the side at the end of the service. Talk to one of them. Talk to one of the staff members. Don't leave this place without making sure that that's the case. You're stuck, chained to sin. Confess it and call on him. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah walked in. And he saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he saw seraphim around the throne of God. 
never ceasing to proclaim holy, holy, holy. We see a similar picture in Revelation chapter 4. And this God who is not exhausted, who doesn't grow tired, who is immutable, as we said, he can hear that in the throne room of God and also hear your call and doesn't go, hey, angels, stop for just a second. Uh, I'm listening here. He also doesn't go, can he stop? Uh, the angels aren't done. He doesn't do that. But he has the capacity to hear that, receive that, respond to that, hear my cry, hear your cry. All at once, he's inexhaustible, holy, and set apart. Friends, we get the opportunity to participate in communion. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. As they come forward, I want to identify a few things. One, communion is for the believer. It's a great reminder of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed that we could have life and have it more abundantly, though the thief come to steal, kill, and destroy. Friendship Church uh, practices what we call open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of the church, uh, of Friendship Church, but you do have to be a member of the church. In other words, receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We're also called to examine our hearts. Is there any unconfessed sin? If so, confess it. There are four stations in the room. We encourage you to go to the station nearest you. Get both elements during this next uh, song. And then at the end of the song, I'll come back together and we'll participate together. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we thank you. We praise you and ask that you would be exalted and lifted up. We ask, Lord, that uh, just in a real way, you would help us to see your holiness and what you're calling us to in this holy lifestyle, a lifestyle of freedom that we have somehow replaced with other just dumb things. Forgive us, Lord, and give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we celebrate and worship you in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name.